Once I saw him with a balled up hanky in his mouth, sucking his own spit as he wrote, moaning into the cloth. I grabbed a log to put it over the dying embers in the fireplace. He grabbed it out of my hands and said it wasn't cold enough. And we're back. How's everyone doing? What is everyone doing? Here at Who Reads Poetry, we are still reading poems and we are still exploring the world readers create with the poems they love, all in conversation. For the very first episode of the season, we have with us Amy Lawless. Amy is an exceedingly fierce and hilarious poet whose most recent work, Broadaxe, is fresh off the press. Broadaxe is an exploration of being fearless in a world where fear is weaponized to keep women compliant. Sounds familiar. You should check it out. Amy brings to us her lifelong hate love of Robert Frost and reads a poem most people in America have probably heard before, Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening, a classic. In this episode, we dwell on how to make winters interesting, making of a poet, poetry as a response to the world around us, and various interpretations of Stopping by the Woods. We really dig into this poem. Spoiler alert, some of it is dark. Amy responds to Robert Frost in the way only a poet would, with poems of her own. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Amy. Um, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy to be here also, Neha. It is such a cold day and I, um, I'm reluctant to go places these days. So uh, I'm really happy you made it here in person and I'm here in person and all of that. Um, so warm and nice in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. You grew up in Boston. You must know a thing or two about winter. Um, yes. How did you survive the blizzard or how do you make your winter <laughs> cheerful? Um, well, it helps to have a sense of humor. Um, so I'm always laughing at myself and um, at the folly of <laughs> my own folly and the folly of others. Mm -hmm. um, I find like doing something like I went to a spin class this morning and I went to a yoga, yoga class yesterday and I I really I hadn't left the house in two days. I had been watching lots and lots of movies, lots cool. of Netflix. Um, there's this show called American Vandals. Have you seen it? Oh my God, um, I haven't seen it, but there is a certain person on the internet that I have kind of a lady crush on who tweets a lot about American Vandal. Oh, who tweets about it? Oh, now I'm blanking <laughs> out now that you ask. She used to be a writer on the toast okay. um, and she's just delightful. Oh, then now you have to watch American Vandals. It's a great winter time. Like, uh just just get this lay on your couch bundle in a blanket and watch American Vandals I also went to Woodstock for New Year's and again that was like three days of just watching movies that my friends had torrented <laughs> call me by your name is great um it was great the new it the reboot of it so what I'm hearing is movies mm-hmm I'm assuming a heated blanket and a sense of humor. Oh, yeah. I, I can yeah. procure the first yeah. two. It's yeah. the third one that I'm still working the on. The sense of humor? Yeah, still, oh, come still on. working on it. No, no, no. <laughs> so, uh, Amy, this is a poetry podcast, and um, we haven't had any poets on it so far. And What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing wrong with it. It's just that we um, the idea for the podcast has always been to explore poetry from the 
perspective of a reader, the mm. person who enjoys poetry okay. versus the person who writes poetry. But at the same time, there is no versus because people who write poetry read so much poetry. We do. And we both love poetry and we hate poetry. That's the thing you have to know about poets. You We are we are very complex people. We we are lovers and we are haters. Have you read the book <laughs> The Hatred of Poetry? I have, yes, actually, yeah. By Ben Lerner. Yes. Yeah. How do you how did you like it? Um, I found it really interesting. So I mean, like, I read a lot of books for like because it's sort of like the due diligence. Um, I love Ben Lerner's novels and um I've read a few of his books. Um, really smart person. I think of it like and I and I might mention this later on when we're talking about the poem that I brought in and um I feel like anything that gets people to read is wonderful. But also, like, just because I read something, I don't know, saying that I enjoy something doesn't mean that I'm, like, signing off on it. Like, mm -hmm. I might, like, love, like, you know, do you ever hate watch something on the internet, like, or hate watch a show? Like, uh, yeah, How to Make a Murderer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so you might hate watch it, like, you just can't stop watching it. And while I, I'm not going to say that about um, Ben Lerner's book, like, I enjoyed reading it. But I find that sometimes, like, with even with Robert Frost, like, I, I hate read it. <laughs> like, I will be reading it and disagreeing with it and feeling like the complexity and the um, the interrogation that he's doing is very different. The way he thinks is very different from the way I think. But in reading that and exploring it, I find more about what I think. I sort of uncover. Yes, I'm yes. opening my own present, so to speak. Um, by dis by discovering and so I don't know I feel like I would probably write a very different hatred of poetry book than Ben Lerner in fact I know I would but I find that um, I'm interested in how he was exploring poetry yeah. and um, you know at the end of the day it's like just think of it like there's a whole library out there yeah of books about literally anything and um, that's just one of the books that's just one person's POV uh, on the subject and so um, in terms of it existing I'm fine with it uh, did he say some things that I disagree with yes did he say some things I agree with yes um, does it matter no um, but there are always these like people who will write these like very passionate and researched uh, think pieces kind of raging against um, an author like Ben Lerner for even writing this um, people angry that the book exists when it's like and even so, like, that's one person's um, answer, one person's um, uh, thoughtful reflection on that book. Um, I feel like um, yeah, the, the Facebook was sort of over the top anti that book. But it's like, come on, it's just one of the books. You know, you guys can all write each of you people with your Facebook accounts can write <laughs> your own um, critique, critique of uh, that book or of, um, you know, whatever Ben Lerner's um, thesis is, which escapes me because I wasn't prepared to talk about it. Mm. But I did, yeah, I was like, sure, yeah, this book, it's great, smart. How, how, and um, and my interest in poetry is only as a reader and I mm -hmm. don't have the what depth of understanding. What are you talking about? You, you just took a, a wonderful uh, poetry writing workshop. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I should probably mention it. That's how I know Amy. Um, conflict, I took of a, <laughs> conflict of interest. Conflict of interest. I took a poetry workshop by Amy, and um, you should probably find Amy online and took a poetry workshop with her because she mm -hmm. was amazing. 
how I uh, read the book, um, and I don't have any, um, how do I say, an ego about Mm -hmm. poetry, because Mm -hmm. I'm very much like a sponge, Mm -hmm. which is like, I'm just looking at things and I'm just feeling, Mm -hmm. and I don't have a well-formed opinion that clashes Mm -hmm. with someone else's well-formed opinion, and you said you forget the thesis, so Mm -hmm. how I read it was... Thank you for uh, reminding. Uh, how I read it was um, people end up hating poetry, even poets, because it falls short of the idea that they were trying to express the very, very, you know, something that you feel in your body. It's almost physical, the beginning mm-hmm. of poetry. And mm-hmm. when it comes down to paper, it it is uh, less than that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's frustrating as a poet, mm-hmm. as a reader and all of that. And I think he went on exploring that. And mm-hmm. I found that very interesting because occasionally I feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I have a very soft corner for the book because I found it in a bookshop in Amsterdam and I mm. read it when I was in a very good mood. And I also discovered Claudia Rankine mm-hmm. through that book. Oh, and I was like... Well, I love it when a book leads to book oh, is the yeah. gateway drug to yeah. another book that you love even more. Yeah. So it was it was amazing. Um, that was a detour, Ben Lerner. Yeah. Um, but Amy, my question was that um, you're a poet, yes, and uh, you could have been a million other things, and you're a poet. Mm-hmm. And what? Why poetry? Well, I am a poet, but I am also a million other things. Yeah. I mean, I'm just a human being, yeah. um, as are as all poets are. Um, it, it sort of started when I was um, when I was eight years old, and uh, I don't know if you, you you were not raised in the states, so you probably don't know about this magazine, or maybe you do. It's called Cricket Magazine, and it was a literary magazine for children, and my mom um, subscribed to it for my sister Molly and I. And um, my sister Molly is an artist, and so she like I think won like the first prize in like the Cricket Magazine art contest. Like she drew a dog dressed up in a dress, <laughs> holding a parasol. I'll never forget it. Um, and she was she's a year and a half older than I am, and there was a poetry contest in Cricket Magazine also. So it, the content of Cricket Magazine was actually amazing, really wonderful stories, poems, and art by, you know, well-known YA authors and regular authors as well. Um, so there was a poetry contra- contest in Cricket Magazine, and it was um, write about a food that you love or a food that you hate. Um, speaking of the hatred of <laughs> anything, right? Um, so I, because sort of resistance is my thing, um, sort of pushing against things or dis- being disagreeable, um, I did not want to write, and I love food. I mean, who does? I mean, I love eating me food. Me too, me too. I mean, we were just talking earlier about um, the holidays and how we just keep stuffing our faces. But one thing, because my mom figured like, oh, you like you like food. Maybe you should enter this contest and write a poem about food you love. And I was like, no, I don't. She said, well, <laughs> she said, well it would all, you can also write, it says here you can write, also write a po- about a food you hate. And I hate peas. I hate those green mushy, disgusting, circular objects that sort of float around the plate. And I was like, oh, I can do this. I hate peas. So I wrote a poem, and the po- I, I will recite the poem for you. I know it by heart. <laughs> it's, not, it's not hard. It's only one line. Please do. Uh, the poem is, peas cannot be eaten with ease. 
I'm sorry. I'm laughing too much. This is, <laughs> this is entirely too delightful. Um, I, I hope so. And so that's my poem. And so I wrote it. My mother was like making lunch or cleaning, washing the kitchen or something. And she's can, like, can, can you recite it again? Oh, yes. Peas cannot be eaten with ease. I just wanted to hear it again. It was yeah, so good. Yeah. yeah. And my mom was like, is there a title? Nope. Um, do you want to keep going? Because maybe you could say something more about why you hate it. Like, nope. And in that moment, I think, um, I mean, I feel like there are a number of moments, and I think we'll get to this later, where, where, where I felt like I became a poet. So you can sort of become a poet many times and then also have time in your life where you're nothing like a poet. You're a student, you're a loser, you're uh, a pedestrian, you're a lover, you're a musician, um, you're a teacher, um, uh, I could go a on, other you're taking a shower, you're you're a spin instructor. God help me. I, I will never become a spin instructor. I just took a spin class. What's so on my mind? You're a comedian. <laughs> um, so um, in that moment, I definitely became a poet for the first time. And um, because I didn't, I, I felt very uh, secure in my artistic vision of this poem is just this one line. It's not, there's no title. There's no um, second line. There's no, you know, it just has that internal rhyme of p's and e's yes um which to me was completely satisfying that's all i wanted to say on the matter and it was great because it also was language that did something i.e my parents never tried to force me to eat that particular vegetable again that's awesome um so i became a poet that day but then i feel like i became poet you know later on in sixth grade again and then when i was a babysitter as a teen um, I borrowed, uh, I was babysitting for somebody who had a copy of that book, Trout Fishing in America by Richard Browdigan. And I asked the woman I babysat for if I could borrow it. And she's like, sure, but that's an important book to me. So you have to give it back. And I did, of course, but it led me to the library, which was before the internet. And I looked up Richard Browdigan because I liked that book a lot. And then I saw the authors that he was associated with. And those people were like Jack Kerouac and Ellen Ginsberg. And so that just led me down this like sort of amazing path of, you know, one door, one author opened the door <clears throat> to another. So, yeah. I love that. Um, so many people I've met and talked to always have this one book that is so mm -hmm. engaging to them that mm -hmm. they want to discover the entire ecosystem mm -hmm. and become readers and yeah. writers yeah. and poets. And, and Yeah, and definitely Trout Fishing in America led me to something out of love. Like, I loved that book because it was it was surreal. It I, I didn't have context for it. I found it on the bookshelf of somebody I was babysitting for. And it just, like, made me realize that, like, you could do these crazy things by just, like, repeating the phrase. You can re replace write a narrative but you replace um the word like trout fishing in america with like any noun or any verb um it just seemed like uh like kind of like brout again was like putting a bomb on language and just blowing shit up and like making it was like a it was just like this action movie yeah and in language my brain is, and language is how we think and unless mm -hmm. we are willing to do rebellious things with language mm -hmm. how are we going to think in a way which is yes. different from everybody before us exactly. and around us and so on you said something twice and i'm really curious you said something about disagreeing and mm -hmm. resistance and mm -hmm. you mentioned this when you were talking about ben lerner where you talked about disagreement and mm -hmm. uh with his point of view and mm -hmm. you talked about how 
you chose to even as a child write poems in in response to not liking something mm -hmm. yeah uh, in response as a critique yeah uh, i'm a critic at heart i'm a critic <laughs> <laughs> okay is, is there more to it than that is there more to it um well i feel like um i mean i think it's important to be a rebellious woman <laughs> i feel passionate about that but Let's also like that but also like you know we are presented with you know when we go to school we're supposed to behave right it was a sit in this fucking chair and read the thing and take the test. And sometimes um, we need to push back at things, right? Yeah. Um, you know, when we're a teen, parents just don't understand. Like, I think that if we just go along agreeing and being compliant with um, the people and the books and the um, Ideas. presidents and oh all God. of these yeah. things around yeah. us, like, we are going to we'll die. I feel like I really will experience soul death, right? So I feel like being vocal is just um, important. Um, luckily, I was, you know, raised by people who appreciated that and encouraged that. Not only my parents and sisters, but teachers and um, friends and stuff like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, okay, that brings us to what are we reading today? Oh, we're reading "Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening." By Robert Frost. Tell me the context in which you first discovered this poem. And okay. why do you bring this one poem here? Okay. Speaking of resistance, right? <laughs> I first encountered this poem in sixth grade. I mean, maybe I encountered it beforehand, but it was formally taught to me in sixth grade. Um, my teacher, I went to Catholic grammar school, which seems insane. Um <coughs> But actually, no. I mean, lots of people go to Catholic grammar school, high school. Um, in sixth grade, I had um, Mrs. Nurbon, um, and she was she was a really nice, uh, good teacher as well. But one of the things that she did was that she um, we had this unit on uh, this poem, and we read it, um, we memorized it, and we had to like recite it, but. Uh, that, the story of that is really in the poem that I wrote in response to this poem. Okay. Um, Should we read that? Maybe we could start with the story, your response. Oh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that, that, that's fine by me. Let me bring it up. And if anybody is interested in following along, <clears throat> this poem is online. Um, it was published in The Inquisitive Eater. Um, I was the poet of the month um, at that uh, journal wow in April of 2017 and so I was the poet of the month there and so they published three poems of mine and um, an essay that I wrote but uh, this is a prose poem and it is called Ars Poetica are you familiar with that term Ars Poetica no it is basically uh, it's a poem that a poet writes and it's sort of just um a statement on uh, what the poet believes poetry is. So it's kind of a heavy term. Um, and there are some famous Ars Poetica out there like Archibald MacLeish's um, and other, other poets. Um, I feel like in my life, I will probably write about, you know, five or six more Ars Poetica. Yeah. Um, but I found that uh, this poem by Frost kept uh, coming up in my mind 
so I felt like I needed to um, make a statement of what poetry was in that in that vein for me mm-hmm. and again um, you'll see the themes of like resistance um, and jealousy and rage which are very <laughs> important to me in my work <laughs> lol okay um, I will read Ars Poetica sure Ars Poetica in sixth grade Mrs. Nurbon assigned us the poem Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. We had to memorize and recite it aloud both to each other and as a chorus for the principal, a man who wore these Italian suits we'd only seen in movies. I remember standing there in a chorus of other children saying, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep. It was being forced to promise not to commit suicide in front of the whole class. Parochial school, am I right? The next week, we had to write a poem in response to Frost's poem. The drafting process was laborious, but fun. I had the most vivid dream the night before the poem was due. In the dream, a female classmate read and recited her poem to me. I was blown away by how beautiful it was. It was a revelation to me, a reverie. I was probably thinking about the lines, the woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep in the dream and heard these words tuned into my classmate's voice channel, my thoughts through her mouth. Dreaming still, I attempted a transcription of her poem, a winter chill. The next morning I was awoken by the nagging jealousy of my classmate and the fear that she was the better poet. That ugly jealousy hurled me forward. I tried to write down what I could remember from the dream of her poem, but I could only recall the mood it set in place. The classmate had not the best family situation and I knew things I wished I did not. What if she had a closer access to the death drive Frost idealizes? I wasn't thinking that at the time, but I was thinking something rancid. I believe I really became a poet that night I dreamt in words. I returned to class totally fried with unbrushed hair, ready to recreate the poem of my dream. I wrestled with whether my memory was a plagiarism. During lunch, I asked to read my classmate's poem. She handed it to me. It was a poem that stole its rhyme scheme and end words from Frost. I smiled to her and sighed relief. Poetry was my own rotting apple I'd bobbed for and caught in the night. Interesting. Interesting. Very intense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very intense. Um, and I, it really does capture your attraction to this piece of poem. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Frost? Of Frost? Yeah. Um, I think that he was probably a lot like me in that sense of... Um, intensity I mean I know that there's this biography of Frost out there that I haven't read spoiler alert but when he moved to Amherst he he moved to a house like Kitty Corner to where Emily Dickinson had lived and I find that kind of uh, geographical positioning interesting like like he had to live there he probably did he's probably like somebody gave him a house to rent or something I really have no idea um, but I find that like 
oh, if I if I want to position myself as a as a poet of letters, and I might name my my name is Robert Frost, I should probably live near Emily Dickinson, the Belle of Amherst, America's <laughs> other <clears throat> one of her, America's two most famous poets. The other one being Walt Whitman well, with Robert Frost. Like I think that he really did want to be the best, and I think he was also like had a tortured jealous uh side to him um and again i might i think i'm probably like at least 50 percent projecting this and on the one hand i should you know a po- i always tell my students you got to get it right you have to be like get the facts right but on the other hand like i like i think that reading things messily and taking what you can all it's like american letters i mean it's a buffet and I think that we can take and leave certain things. I do know on my list is to read this biography of Robert Frost. If I continue writing about him, I need to get things. Um, I love things your right. conspiracy voice when when you have that conspiracy voice. Yeah. Just to add, uh, <laughs> I definitely have a conspiracy voice. <laughs> <laughs> Just to add some fuel to that that fire and the conspiracy. Frost, when he wrote this poem, he was certain that he would be remembered for this. And he was right. Yeah, yeah. It's a, right. it's a beautiful poem. It's very lyrical. We haven't read it yet. We should. Now is the time. Now is the time. Okay. Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. That is something all of us have heard before. Mm-hmm. Stopping by, uh, by Woods is a very, very popular poem. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe before going into uh, what this poem means, m- what this poem means to you, and um, what do you take from it? It's worth talking about why you think it is so popular. Well, it sounds like a, a song with a bounce. That's mm-hmm. one thing, right? So the 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 right the diction of it is um it's bouncy. It's mm-hmm. like um it's it it sort of flows along like, you know, have you ever ridden on a horse? No. No? What is that? You never you've never been on a horse? Oh, I on have horse, been on a horseback horse riding. Yes, yes, I have. I have. So it has like this gallop. The the language flows um right? Okay. Um, yeah. And so there's nothing about the language that makes the poem um, hard to understand um, in terms of vocabulary, sentence structure, right? Mm-hmm. So that makes the poem very accessible, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing at all, right? But I think that it's it also the, the horse in this poem is also very interesting because um, the speaker wants to kill himself, at least how I read it. Okay. The speaker wants to kill himself or wants to go off, right? Yeah, that fantasy of like finishing things off. Yeah, uh, annihilating somehow or 
leaving or or just running away, right? Or yeah. just getting away from from the obligations of uh, human daily life. Mm-hmm. I might read it as just like, this guy's going to go kill himself, which begs the question of why on earth would anyone teach this to a sixth grader? But I think that there are other people who read this poem on the level of um, just, you know, you have your job, you have your, you have your work to do as a human being. When you wake up in the morning, like you had to come here and record a podcast. I had to come here and appear on a podcast. Um, we had our work to do. And so you can't uh, dally, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If you dally, because uh, people, tr- there's, a, there's a trust in uh, every human relationship, whether it's work or commerce or friendship or uh, being a lover, right? Um, so this, this poem talks about something um, very basic, which is just uh, human relationships, right? But I love the horse because the horse is the one who's like, excuse me, what? <laughs> right? Because he wants to go off and do whatever. We can argue about that later. The speaker wants to go off, right? And then the horse is like, excuse me, we, we, you know, I'm cold. Like, yeah. can we go inside? Like, what, what's going on? And I love that a non-human enters the conversation to, um, to question it. So, like, the questioning, the, the bringing back to reality is done by a non-human entity. I love the idea of animals um, sort of helping humans reckon with uh, themselves. Interesting. Interesting that you say that. I didn't think that we would jump into the dark interpretation of the poem like on the get-go, but but I see where this is going. Yes. And I love that you brought out the horse. I didn't think so much about it, but then what mm-hmm. like how would me what it makes me feel when I hear you talk about the horse with such fascination and the horse interrupting his chain of thoughts of and his dilemma between going on continuing with all mm-hmm. the obligations of life and the business of life mm-hmm. as it may be and mm-hmm. or to just walk off in a forest and let things happen to him yeah um I think the difference may be that animals have a single you know one track mind mm-hmm. horse well, we, we, walking we, we think they do that that is fair we think I see do. you're an mm-hmm. animal lover and you're giving oh, yeah. them an entire giving spectrum them of emotional choices um but sometimes I think maybe being a human is just entirely too complicated and mm-hmm. um, yeah. I can understand why why somebody may want to, well, on a scale of uh, very lighthearted to very dark, just stop by for some time and watch something beautiful and mesmerizing like snowfall and fill up fill up the environment around or and on the darker side, just, you know, give up on mm-hmm. life. Um, I can I can see yeah. that happening. Um, you know, I should probably, uh, bring this up. I, I've read this poem multiple times. Mm -hmm. And when I say multiple times, I probably read it the first time and glanced over it Mm -hmm. every other time. Mm -hmm. Something about the poem being so popular that it is introduced to children in school Mm -hmm. at an age where you don't, like, I didn't think of it that way. Um, I didn't think of it as a death poem or a suicide mm-hmm. poem and mm-hmm. um i'm not sure how much time you spend on the internet but i do too much of it <laughs> I, I love it um, i love the internet I, I i i do too much of it and um while i didn't 
really dig into the controversy, but um, there is a controversy around somebody making a very insensitive uh, video log about uh, oh, the yeah. Japan. Oh, what's the guy's name? The, the, uh, the, the Logan Paul. Oh, Logan Paul. I did not say his name, but whatever. Um, He's uh, the worst. Yeah, well, Aokigara Forest. The, mm-hmm. It's famously known as Japan Suicide Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and something about the poem, reading the poem after knowing that, with that fresh in my mind, really like really brought me to the same mm-hmm. um, feelings as as you just expressed around mm. you know the author wanting to just die mm-hmm. and 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 I was just so surprised by this sudden reinterpretation of something that I've known for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you always have this interpretation of this poem in your mind or has it shifted through time? Um, well, so the thing is, in, interesting things happen in middle school and I guess this was middle school, sixth grade, right? Mm-hmm. Where in, in high school as well, I don't know if you did this in high school, but we were always forced to memorize things. And in a way that brings the text closer to you where it becomes like the food you eat, the air you breathe. And in other ways, sometimes it allows a distance because then it's just like the words become sort of this amalgamation where suddenly, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what the poem means. And so um, in my sixth grade class, we were forced to memorize it and then recite it together for the principal and then write our own um, kind of win- – I think I think my teacher asked us to write our own winter poem or something because mm-hmm. in Boston it snows, so it's not like a leap or anything. It's actually a gr- – I mean, I, as a teacher right now, I'm thinking like she knew what she was doing. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but I guess like this, this poem did uh, – I love – because I'm an animal lover and um, I love the snow. I think I – also th- this poem is in the first person and which I think is really also very significant so then you when you're reciting a poem and you're not reading it quietly in front of your uh I don't know candle candle, <laughs> candle mirror whatever uh wearing your crown your poetry crown because we were forced to recite it um the I became my own I I think so therefore it was it was this became a poem that I always have memorized I had already I had memorized and then I think I I knew it by heart for many years after I no longer know it by heart but I think because I was forced to recite it so many times um I felt like that I was my own I Mm -hmm. and therefore I tried to imagine this man um I never thought it was myself but I always imagine this man going to the woods and and it's New England, right? Robert Frost is a famous New England poet. <laughs> and so I always put myself into his point of view. Um, and he's like stopping at in these woods that don't belong to him. So he's a trespasser, right? And instead Very of... Very American idea. Yeah. And he's just uh, watching woods fill up with snow is what he says he's doing, right? But who does that? a very pensive person, perhaps a poet, perhaps somebody who's just like bored or somebody. Tired. Yeah. But like you don't stop in, in the, in the harsh new England winter, you don't stop to watch a, some woods fill up with snow. You stop to do something, whether it's to take a piss, I imagine, or you stop to 
kill yourself. <laughs> that was an escalation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I know this is my, I mean, but I'm not the only person who's, I mean, if you, if you just go to the Wikipedia page for this poem, you will see a discussion of the death drive or something, you know, I mean, this it's, I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't, I think I would be, uh, doing a disservice to, to this conversation if I didn't say that, you know, this isn't my own interpretation out of my magic poetry hat. Right. Mm. Um, so, but then in the second stanza, he acknowledges, um, the horse, right? My little horse must think it queer, which is, you know, odd, right? To stop without a farmhouse near between the woods and frozen, frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. So it's, um, and so the word darkest, I think is significant as well, because it's not, um, it could be the darkest evening of the year in his own heart. mind and yeah. heart, right? Something bad could have happened or he could feel like, you know, without much daylight, without much warmth, um, you know, you can feel down, right? Yes. Um, he gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. Um, and that's where the horse is having a conversation with him, which is like something I love. Like, like, hey, buddy, we okay up there? Um, <laughs> companionship. It, yeah, companionship. Like, I, you do have a friend. You do have someone else who's reliant upon you, who's going to need to eat and who's going to need some shelter later on. Um, which and and the the fact that the speaker does move on um, shows us that he does respect that companionship, which is important. Um, but I also think that the last two lines, the repetition, and miles to go before I sleep, and miles to go before I sleep, um, that sort of has like a dirge, like droney quality to me. Like oh, I've like just sort of like I'm imagining the speaker having sort of a dead eye of like. I got a long way to go, man. It's going to be miles and miles before I get to my next destination. I got my, oh God, like that kind of thing. Like he could have given up, but instead he's chosen the, the despair and ennui of drudging along, right? Which is what we, which is like the most, I mean, like today on this freezing day that I've come to this warm apartment for a podcast, like, um, we've all made the choice to continue, which I think is significant. Yes. Is my, is, is, was that like the darkest thing ever? Or cause no. I hope that it was filled with a little bit of light of like, yes, we all have to go on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> totally not dark at all. Uh, <laughs> not, not dark at all. Um, it hasn't been a long time since I have discovered the dark interpretation of this poem. Um, I love that. I love that there is an idea of um, there is an idea of making it somewhat clear that this is an invasive mm -hmm. thought versus yeah. a pervasive one, yeah. like the kind of thoughts you have that you don't act on, mm -hmm. um, which are definitely bad for you. Yeah. Not just death, yeah. but like doing completely something terrible. Mm -hmm. You know, like your mind basically exercising all the corners of possibility mm -hmm. versus you actually wanting that. There is a difference mm -hmm. between the two. Mm -hmm. And I think something about the the switch, which I think the horse is a pivot point mm -hmm. of acknowledging all mm -hmm. of that and moving on is yeah. hopeful. Yeah. I think whereas somebody like Logan Paul, the vlogger who is a complete, like, it, he's not even worth this conversation, but he's in it now. <laughs> um, like, for somebody to go to that forest, which I believe is uh, a known place, it's yes. where yeah. people have um, committed suicide, 
for him to go there knowing what it was and not having uh any respect for that space and knowing full well i don't care when he graduated i don't i don't care when in 2016 he graduated from high school um he still like is disrespecting not only a culture yeah but a geographical space and the concept of um, mourning death um uh loving one's fellow man um there was also another article that showed vi- uh, footage of um other things he was doing in Japan and they were equally disrespectful to Japanese culture. Um, really just, uh, uh so offensive. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to give more space to that. Yeah, um, exactly. M- uh, moving on. Um, so what's interesting to me is that Robert Frost was so totally <laughs> not psyched about people interpreting this poem as a dead poem. He was like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm coating him right please now. Please do, please do. I'm coating him, pressing it for more than it should be pressed for. Those was his exact words. And he did. He was like, people are free to interpret this poem right. in the very way they please. Um, but he didn't want to be in the room for it. He went <sighs> as far as to say that. He was very, very like, you're seeing too much into it. Mm-hmm. You're seeing too much into it. Um what do you make of that? You put a piece of poem out there and then people are doing stuff to it and you're a poet and mm-hmm. what 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 range of emotions would you feel about that? You mean if I if it were my poem? Yeah. Um well I mean I think that he did the thing that he uh had a free right to do. You know, he's the author. Yeah. Um so he should and did speak out about um what he thought of what the poem meant but once you write something it's out of your hands right um so yeah that's basically it so and also you know sometimes as an author we are uh the poem does more things than you realize it does right yeah so if you have the ego to publish something (laughs) which he certainly did um you know he he thought it was an important thing that people should read and think about um and they didn't think or read it in the way that um he wanted them to um but it's kind of like you give birth to a baby and that baby can be literally anyone right that baby can be logan paul (laughs) or that baby can be the dalai lama like you don't you don't you don't know wow (laughs) yes um dalai lama as a baby wow okay that's that's an image um while Frost is very much like, don't take too much from this, don't go too far mm-hmm. interpreting this poem, he also very famously said that um, stopping by Woods on a snowy evening would be a poem that he would like to print out on a page and then write 40 pages of footnotes. That's mm-hmm. how much he cared about this poem. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm really curious. Did he what, ever write those footnotes? No, I'm really curious what you oh think he God. would he would put into that he clearly valued this poem a lot mm-hmm. um and thought it had way more meaning than just mm. that like it had more than its face value but he also didn't agree with most of the interpretations what do you think would 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 those 40 pages of footnotes contain oh my god i mean i feel like i should almost write those 40 pages of footnotes 
Do that would be a great. Spitting. Oh, because, I would love to read because I actually wrote this other poem called Robert Frost that I could also read if you want me to read it. I would love you so, to read a um, poem titled Robert Frost. So I have this book called My Dead. I mean, so it's like I don't know. I feel like I'm this. I've I've suddenly I don't know. I, just in this podcast now, like I've uh, picked up this um, this harness bell, <laughs> and I'm giving it a shake, right? Um, so I wrote this poem in my, uh, my last, not my new book, my last book called, um, my dead (laughs) and the poem is called Robert Frost. Unable to eat all of his own children, Robert Frost would tuck us in again after we'd gone to bed. He'd say, here is warm milk. Consider how even this mug will eventually disintegrate. Like my mother used to bathe her fake teeth in it before she died. He even took my ability to mourn my grandmother. Once I saw him with a balled up hanky in his mouth, sucking his own spit as he wrote, moaning into the cloth. I grabbed a log to put it over the dying embers in the fireplace. He grabbed it out of my hands and said it wasn't cold enough. (laughs) This is... I'm not sure, like, my response is to laugh because it paints Frost in a light that, like, given I have seen his face, like, fits it, mm-hmm. fits it, like, definitely fits it. He yeah. could be somebody who would be in some ways aloof and very much, like, embraced it, this hardship. Yeah, It's exactly. not cold enough. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. not cold enough. That Then that's, like, kind of the image that I was building toward in the whole poem, even though I'm saying, like, weird things about, like, my grandmother and stuff. Um, but, like he's like here is warm milk consider how even this mug will eventually disintegrate um and so like i'm giving you something but then i'm also uh, um taking uh sort of like the artifice off of it so that you can see um you know the skull behind your face so to speak right like the Mm -hmm. you can see the the true nature um which is that things are born and then they die. Um, but yeah, this whole idea that it's not cold enough is that so when it's colder, you can maybe see something, see see the reality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's kind of what I was thinking. I, I felt that. I definitely felt that. Um, you have so many ideas about Robert Frost. <laughs> yeah, and I love I don't know that what... your response to questions <laughs> is a poem. Uh, hey, yo, I got, I got like three books here, yo. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my new book doesn't have any poems about Robert Frost, but that new poem will be in my next uh, poetry collection that um, I'm trying to get published. I, I'm slightly sad that the new book doesn't have a poem about Robert Frost, but oh, it's such a bummer. But I would probably get you to sign the new book and say something <laughs> very, very interesting about Robert Frost on it. I'll try to. The legend has it that the poem was written. In summer, and after a night-long exhaustion, he was trying to write a poem about New Hampshire, Mm. which is a very, very long poem and Mm. is in a book titled New Hampshire. As Mm. we have discussed, he really loved Mm. New Hampshire. In fact, uh, he he thought that there were only two wonderful states in America, New Hampshire and Virginia. And he couldn't, I think, make progress on the poem, which was New Hampshire. And so he wrote, 
He wrote this poem while he was up for a really long time, and he said that it came to him in a spell of auto intoxication, mm. like you know, from exhaustion. You're very mm-hmm. tired, and your brain has a life of its own, mm-hmm. and you don't aren't really controlling most of it. Mm. It's almost like your subconscious has bubbled up. Yeah, I don't. I like. I occasionally remember being that tired, and very interesting things happen when yeah. you are that tired. Yeah. I find it very fascinating that it's a poem about snow. Yeah, written on a summer night. Uh, while as a detour from writing about something else entirely. Yeah. And it has been, it has, the poem itself has taken a life that the author did not want it to take. Yeah. Because you're right, like the internet definitely thinks, most people think that there are undertones of exhaustion from life in this poem, um, leading mm-hmm. to either a long, long sleep or the longest sleep of all time, which is mm-hmm. death. Um, very fascinating. Um hmm. Do you uh, do you have have this happen to you where you are trying to write about something else and you really can't make progress and you end up writing something else and it's like it's like you have to take detours to come to the point mm-hmm. that you really really want to make. Oh yeah, all, all the time. Um, I find it very difficult to just sit down and write. Like I feel like I have to. Um, do a lot of other things like I have to um read or take a shower or um write uh emails or um write start writing an essay or or you know but sometimes you know I'll be on the subway you know and I can't even find a seat but I'll, I'll see somebody's face or I'll see a subway ad or I'll get a you know a photo texted to me from a friend or a sister and, you know, all of a sudden I have this need to pour out all of these ideas. Yeah. Um, you know, I think things strike, you know, while you're living, not necessarily while you're, um, while you have the time to sit behind your laptop, right? Um, and you have to just kind of uh, be open and receptive to whatever comes to you. So, Amy, um, you have a new book coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us more about this new book and, uh, yes. you know, the, the jungle of emotions. And <laughs> the jungle of emotions. I love that. That's great. Um, so this book is called Broadax and it's published by Octopus Books. You mm-hmm. can get it, um, on octopusbooks.net. Um, I think it's also on, yeah, it's also on Amazon. I think that they have it at Burl's Poetry Bookshop in Dumbo, which is a great place. Mm-hmm. Um, and also small press distribution. Um, it's a so this book. Um, it's a lot about my sibling rivalry with my sister. Okay. And um, and then it's also about just the experience of being a woman mm-hmm. in the twenty first century, where we are beset by humiliations, lonelinesses, and um, kind of uh, ugh, men. Um, (laughs) (laughs) kind of men. Yeah. Men, men. Um, but also there, you know, I, I have a lot of poems that have my own signature humor. Um, you know, I have one poem about, you know, FOMO. Um, so it's sort of one. That's a big one. Right. And I, uh, so yeah. So you don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to miss out on that. Um, so yeah. So this poem, I'd have, it starts off with like a, I think it's a, uh, 50 or so page poem called Broadax, mm-hmm. um, 
about half of it is uh, prose poems and half of it is sort of lineated poems. Um, there's a section called The Private Lives of Deer, and these are prose poems that are sort of like, you know, using like deer and wolf wolves as um, central uh, characters. Um, and they sort of also read a little bit like horoscopes, um, th that section specifically. Um, so yeah, that's my new book and I'm super excited. I hope people read it. <laughs> I'm actually really excited. The moment you said sibling rivalry, I'm like, <laughs> I am definitely the candidate uh -huh. for it. Amy, this is a question I think I'm going to ask literally everybody now who mm -hmm. comes to this podcast. It's in reference to a tweet by a certain someone whose name we haven't taken so far. But, you know, when you said precedence, that mm. was the face that came to my mind because that's, you know, that's that's my, you know, very active, uh, active hate right now, and maybe the only one. I'm very bad at hating, so um, when mm -hmm. I hate something, it's uh, very mm -hmm. visceral. Mm -hmm. um, Amy, are you a very stable genius? Oh, my God. Well, I think that if somebody calls themselves a genius, um, they're probably not, right? Um, am I stable? I think I'm, I think I'm pretty stable. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I think that's a great question. You should definitely ask everybody this. Maybe we should begin with that one so we know whether to do the podcast or not. But yeah, 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 yeah. Missed out on that. Um, Amy, thank you so much for coming out. Oh, and thank you so much for having me, Neha. This has been a delight and a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Tell us how you like this episode of Food Eats Poetry. Better yet, rate us on your podcast apps. We like stars too. We hope you raise fresh hell in 2018. We are definitely trying harder this year. This podcast is a labor of love and relies on your feedback and participation. So talk to your friends about us. Tweet at us at Who Reads Poetry. Bring us your favorite poems and join us on the podcast. To meet the people behind the podcast, visit us at whoreadspoetry.com. Hell yeah, we have a new website, whoreadspoetry.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Until next time.